Well, I want to talk to you this morning about the church and our part in it. And uh, as you think about that whole subject, I want to ask you a question. Is the church a building or people? In the 930 service, uh, a child in the back said, people, like that. <laughs> it was great. And so I know that some of us have heard that before, but as you know, sometimes we fall into these patterns where we say, uh, I go to church. And what we mean is I'm going to the building. And just a reminder that the New Testament teaches that the church is like a building, like a temple. We learned in Ephesians 2. But it's not actually a brick-and-mortar building as much as it's like that. God builds us together. And so as we think about being the church and not just going to church, we continue our study in Ephesians, which is an incredible letter, by the way about the church, and today it uses a particular image of the church, the body of Christ. So we're going to look at that today. Before we do that, though, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today, verses 7 through 16, and uh, this is actually about maturing together. The word mature comes up several times in this passage you're going to see, but if you could just mark your place, we're actually going to look at another place in the New Testament before we uh, dig into this in a little bit. And as you're turning there, let me just tell you, if you can multitask, here's the question that I want to answer. You know, we just saw seven people baptized, 22 people in our church baptized today. There was actually a, a time in the New Testament when in one day, 3,000 people were baptized in one day. Would that have been a gathering to be at? Wouldn't that be amazing? And we're going to look at that because here's the question. If you're following along in the notes, here's the question that I would like to Think about with you as we look at Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. Here it is. After baptism, you're following along. After baptism, what did the first believers do next? After they were baptized, what then? What did they do next? So I want us to look at the passage that shows us what the first believers did after they were baptized. And again, if you look up here on the screen, you can see Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 47. And we're going to walk through this, and I can watch for what they do right after they're baptized. Okay, here we go. So Peter, about six or seven weeks after Jesus died, was crucified in Jerusalem, is now speaking in Jerusalem, same city that was hostile towards Jesus. His followers now have this fresh courage to stand up and talk about Jesus. Some things have happened in those weeks. And purportedly, three days later, he had risen from the dead, and not many people knew about that, but his followers are actually declaring that. And a whole bunch of people had been able to speak in other languages that all matched the people's languages that were in the city that day so they could hear about the wonders that God did through Christ. So they're all gathered this big crowd. Peter preaches a message, and then he brings it down to a fine edge. Here's what he says. So be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, right here in this city, both Lord and Messiah, both Lord and Christ. Now when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. That means that they were convicted and convinced about Jesus. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You know, in other words, we didn't realize this about Jesus. We didn't know this or we didn't believe this before. What do we do if we believe in Jesus now? <clears throat> now notice what Peter says. Peter replied, Repent. That doesn't just mean feel bad. That means change your mind about leading your own life, your own way. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift 
of God's Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will, what's the word there? Call. Now we're going to talk about living out our calling because the Lord's called us if we're a follower of Christ. With many other words, he warned them. In other words, the message actually went on much longer. I love reading verses like this in the Bible. I'm just kidding. No, he actually had a lot more to say than we have in the New Testament. And so he pleaded with them with many other words. What did he say? Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. What's he mean? You are part of a group of people, a generation that has not believed this about Jesus. I'm asking you to step apart from that group of people and become part of a group of people that do. It says those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, what do they do next after they're baptized? They, what's the phrase? Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of believers, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled and kept being filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Talk about a way of sharing life together. This is more of a get-to and a want-to than a have-to. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, big place, big gathering. They broke bread in their homes, smaller gatherings, and ate together with glad, and the word sincere there means transparent, no mask, sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I just want to talk with you about this. Why did they devote themselves to the church after being baptized? Because they felt guilty or because they had to or because they wanted to? Was it because through the teaching of the apostles that Jesus had commissioned to do so, they understood for the first time in their life that when they put their trust in Jesus, they also put their trust in what Jesus wanted them to do next, and that was to be part of the church, to be part of the body of Christ. Now, I bring all this up because it's very common in the United States for us to separate these out. We say, well, I'm willing to be baptized. I mean, I'll follow him. I'll do a solo thing with Jesus. I just don't want to do the plural corporate thing with Jesus. I can follow Jesus on my own. This is perhaps one of the greatest lies the evil one has ever purported. It's, it's completely different than what Jesus taught and why Jesus died. Why did Jesus die? Did he die just so that you could be saved and go to heaven? Nope. He died to make you part of his body, the church. And so today I want to talk with you about that. Because if you and I come to a place where we too understand that, then we can be committed and devoted and continually devote ourselves with the time we have here on earth to what Jesus says is the most important thing going on in planet earth, his body, his earthly body, now through his believers. So that's what we're going to look at today, and um, I'm going to ask you to read with me Ephesians 4 in just a minute, but let's pray so that God will help us. Uh, can I just be honest with you, uh, this morning, uh, actually this whole week has been kind of a, a comedy of errors, but I've been just thinking, like, why, why do I feel kind of uptight? And I think it's because the Lord just helped me see that I feel like I've got to somehow help you understand this. And the truth is, is I, I can't. But the Lord can. 
And he wants us to understand this in a way. So I'm just trusting that he'll show you that you'll sense his calling and how to live this out and that you'll be able to live it out. So let me pray. God, thank you so much for this gathering. As we gather in this big group, we also gather in smaller groups during the week and in smaller ways with other people. And I would pray that you'll teach us how to see your church in its grand vision of what you intended. Even if people have had terrible experiences with churches that weren't working right, I pray you'd help us become a church more and more that's learning how to work together and be a church that is working right under your leadership. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, just to bring you up to speed too, just so you know, Ephesians 4 is where we're at now. If you look at these banners, if you weren't here, the first part of the year, we spent time in the first three chapters learning about our identity in Christ when we trust in Christ and receive his amazing grace. So part of being convinced of who we are in Christ is so important because most of us try and obey our way into getting the identity with God. We try and obey our way into being accepted. But the Bible teaches us that we are accepted. We receive a new identity and we live out that identity once we understand and know that better. So you'll see that in the first one, there's a, a thumbprint, a fingerprint, which we, you know, we often use for identity. And over here is a footprint that shows how to walk it out, how to walk it in shoe leather. So let's talk about how we can understand God's purpose for us, our new identity, so we can walk it out. So here we go. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 as well. If you didn't get a chance to listen to Steve's message last week, I highly recommend it. Very helpful. But here we go. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the, what's the phrase, friends? Calling you have received. In other words, if you're a follower of Christ, you have received a calling. You have a purpose. You have a calling in life. And he's saying, now live it out. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Steve showed us last week that more than just behaviors and living out, it's a posture, it's an attitude that we have of being humble, gentle, patient, and bearing with one another in love. Have you ever been around? Have you ever been in a place where that atmosphere was filled with those kind of attitudes? Oh my goodness, what a difference between humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. It's a place that you can grow and flourish. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. In other words, treat the body of Christ carefully because the Spirit wants you to make sure that oneness is, is pursued. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now notice, it's going to talk about our corporate, our plural identity. But to each one of us, Verse 7, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, he's going to quote Psalm 68 next, and I'm going to explain this later in the message because it's a little tricky to understand. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He also descended is a very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to what? Fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be immature, no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves 
and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Now, verse 15, would you read it out loud with me? It's on the notes there in that first gray box. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Now, verse 16 is in that second gray box. Would you read that with me? From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now let's look at this. Let's understand what we're called to be. Here's some of the things this passage points out. First, when we trust Christ, if you're following along, God knits us to Christ's body. So when you trust Christ, when you let Christ give you the grace that he came to give you and you let him become the Lord of your life, he knits you not only to Christ but to his body. This is an interesting thing. Now, some of you guys may be listening, and you're going, Jeff, like, why did you pick the verb knit? I mean, that's like, hmm, I don't knit. The reason I picked the word knit is because when God knits us together, it's not just like staples us on, not like duct tapes us on. It's way more interweaved than that. It's way more organic than that. It's a mystery, isn't it, friends? But he knits us together as the body of Christ, just as a body is knit together. Have some of you ever read Psalm 139, verse 13, where David's talking about how he was created by God? He says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Wow. The way you did that is an amazing thing. And so what this means is, is that our bodies... Just as like our physical bodies are complex. You think about ligaments and tendons, bones, muscles, all these different things. It's an amazing thing, but they're all knit together and they're all connected to the head, the brain. And uh, if you look at a picture here, this is uh, just an example, is the brain, the, the head is the control center of the operation. Nowadays, when we, we talk about things, we go, so are you the brains of the operation? What I mean is, like, are you in charge? And Jesus is in charge. When you put your trust in Christ, you're saying, I'm going to let you be in charge of my life. And he says, I will knit you together with me so that I can prompt you, I can lead you, I can guide you from the control center of my life in yours. And he knits us together. This is an interesting thing. So what that means is, is that now you and I have been knit together if we have both trusted Christ. This is why even if you meet a Christian from another part of the world, another part of the country, sometimes within moments, you find yourself saying, there is something, there's something kind of like, they're almost like family, like, like knit together. This is interesting. Second thing I want you to see is, is that he knits us together as one body with many parts. He knits us together as one body with many parts. You know, last week we learned about unity, not uniformity, but unity. This week we see that it's unity with diversity. Can I just be honest and say that some of us, when we think about being part of a follower of Christ or be part of a church, the very first thing we think of is I'm going to lose my individuality. I'm going to lose my personality. Some of you may have seen people like that. They just got like incredibly crazy or weird. And that's a misunderstanding of what happened when Jesus comes into your life. Because actually, you become more alive. You become more of an individual, and yet you also become knit together with other people who have been made alive. 
Your uniqueness does not go away. It actually gets expressed in a much better way. But he knits us together, many parts, many people, many different backgrounds, many different experiences. This is an amazing, amazing thing. If you look up here, you'll see Romans 12, 5 talks about this. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all, what's the phrase there, belong to each other. Now, how might you and I apply this in our everyday life? This means that when you look at somebody, if they too have trusted Christ, then when you look at them, you don't say, we go to the same church together. And you can say that if you want. But if you want to practice this, you'll say, they're part of the body of Christ like I am. I'm part of the body of Christ with them. Have you ever thought of how this changes you? You start to look at each other with different eyes. You know, Trish and I have been married 33 years. But you know something that's going to live a lot longer than our marriage? is the fact that she's my sister in Christ. I am part of the body of Christ with her forever. That's an interesting thing. That means that the way I treat her and interact, we're going to see later in Ephesians 5 and chapter 6, that we actually practice the body of Christ at home in the way that we act with each other. This isn't just something you do in a building. This is something you do in an organic relationship. And so just learning that, wow, many different parts. We all have been somehow knit together. Now, does that mean we all live like that all the time? No. But it's understanding that this is God's plan, and this is what he wants us to practice and pursue in actual everyday experience. So notice the third thing here I want you to see is that Christ descended and ascended to give each of us gifts. And I told you I would come back to that. You see verse 7? It says this. It says, But to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. The word grace, as we learned a few weeks ago, can mean favor. It can mean a gift. It can mean undeserved favor. When you and I receive grace from Jesus, is it because we earned it? No, it's because he's so generous, he's so giving, that he gives this grace freely as a gift. So how does he do that? It says that to each one of us, grace has been given as he apportioned it. In other words, he figured out how to uniquely give you a different portion of his grace. And then it goes on to this whole discussion of giving gifts and ascending and descending. What's all that mean? Well, you and I did not grow up in the same generation that this, uh, the New Testament was written, but this was an image that Paul used that everyone would have understood then. You know, we have a president, they had a king. And what happened is, is that when kings would go off to war, they would do battles with their armies. And whenever they would conquer a city or conquer a nation, they would take all the plunder... And they would also take all the people that they had that were still alive, they would take them captive. And then they would march them back to their homeland if they didn't kill them in the process. And they would march all these captives in front of people to humiliate them, to show, I beat these people. But then they also, along with all the plunder, they would have all the plunder and wagons. And instead of saying, hey, I'm heading to my palace and keeping it all for myself, these kings, as they ascended back into their city, they would pass out gifts and say, here, some of this is for you. Some of this is for you. And this victory wasn't just mine. It's ours. What the Bible's telling us is that Jesus descended. Oh, did he descend? You can't descend unless you're what? Up high, right? What's Philippians 2 say? Let's look at it real quick. This is what the early church used to sing about with wonder and awe. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God 
something to be used to his own advantage, something to be held on to. And here's this, this is important. If you think that Christmas is about Jesus getting his start at Bethlehem, then you need to know he started before time began. He is God in human flesh. Therefore, he left the glories of heaven and he descended downward mobility of an unbelievable magnitude. And he stepped down. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, which was the ultimate humiliation in the first century. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, here's what happened. Jesus descended from the glories of heaven in order to do what? To conquer our enemies. Who are our enemies? Everything that holds us captive, the sin, the addictions, the habits, things that are in our conscience, all of our failings, all of our sin, all that. He came to conquer the evil one and all that goes with that. And the Colossians tells us that on the cross, he conquered them, he beat them. That doesn't mean that they don't, we don't still let them have control of our life, but we don't have to let that power control us anymore. Jesus whipped that. And therefore, he marched all that back, triumphed over the cross. And then it says that when he did that, as he ascended back up, the word ascended doesn't just mean he went up. It means he came to rule. As he ascended, he passed out gifts. The Bible says when Jesus got to heaven, it said this in John 14, 15, and 16, that the Father and I are going to send you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to give you gifts for ministry. Each one of you is going to have a portion of my grace. I'm going to pass it out to you. Do you know the gifts he's given you? Have you learned these? I'm going to talk about this with you more. But do you understand some of the gifts he's already given you if you've received Christ? Notice this. If you're following along, his body only works right then when each of us uses his gifts. The gifts he's given us. His body only works right when each of us uses the gifts he's given us. This is why so many times in local church expressions, some of you say, well, I've never like seen a church where people use their gifts. Well, that means that that church wasn't yet working right. That doesn't mean that it was Jesus' fault. Jesus certainly passed out gifts. That means that either the leaders didn't teach this or that the people got away from it. It's, it's easy to do. But the point is, is that when a church is working right, every person, every person is learning that they have a part to play. And so this last thing I want you to see is that understanding what we're called to be is daily giving ourselves to Christ and his body, we mature. That it's only by daily giving ourselves to Christ and his body that we mature. Some of us say, I can be the body of Christ by myself. No, you can't. That would be like me saying, all I need is a thumb and I'm the body. You and I can't. We're only one member of the body. We need each other. But when you and I begin to understand, I may only be a thumb, but I have a part to play, and the way I respond to the head is huge. Surely you've seen this. These are some of the saddest things that we have happen in our families or our loved ones. When either the brain is damaged somehow so that the rest of the body no longer 
gets the promptings and the impulses from the brain properly, or something in the body begins to be short-circuited, so that now the body is either unresponsive or dislocated or something. I mean, you've seen that before? My family had a situation. I don't know all the details, but my mom and dad uh, were um, um, doing something one time at the house, and uh, one of my parents accidentally slammed the door on the other one, and their toe, they didn't have their shoes on, their toe went 90 degrees. Okay? Now that's a picture, isn't it? And the idea, reason I'm bringing that up is not to gross anybody out, but to say this. Is the toe going to work right dislocated like that? Of course not. So do you know what Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 is teaching us here? That Jesus not only gave gifts, but he gave some people in the body of Christ to be apostles, evangelists, you know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? To equip God's people for works of service. Two thoughts here. Are the pastors supposed to do all the ministry? No. They're supposed to prepare God's people for the works of ministry, do it together. The second thing I want us to see is this. What does the word prepare mean? It means to mend or to set right. Just like a bone that's been broken, if it's properly set, do you realize it can actually be twice as strong when it heals? So therefore, God says, I want to help you. I want to give you people that will help you live the Christian life and that will teach you how instead of being a dislocated Christian or an unresponsible, responsive Christian, now you can actually serve set right, aligned properly so that now you're serving and you understand and can do it with understanding. This is huge. So I don't know where you're at, but I've I've thought many years, what is it that takes a person that's maybe started following Christ, maybe even been baptized, and yet they're disconnected, disinterested, or far from understanding this whole plan of God? What happens? How do they get interested and how do they move towards it? Well, what I've learned is is that a lot of times it's through getting to know that Jesus had a bigger plan than just me being a solo Christian. And there's a a person in our our staff who I've watched just grow in their relationship with Christ over the last 20 years. And I was talking to them this week and they said, you know, I went to church. I was made to go to church when I was young. And then when I got to college, I had to sort out, what's my relationship going to be with the body of Christ, with the church? And they began to visit different churches, uh, expressions of church gatherings and stuff, and they did that. And they began to see that that God had a purpose for them. But I said, when did you really grow? They said, you know, when we came to Cherry Hills and you guys helped us understand that we each have a unique gift for ministry, that we've been made for ministry, and if we use that, we can actually minister to some people that maybe no one else will minister to. That absolutely radically changed my life, and I began to sense a belonging to the body of Christ like never before. That can happen to you. For me, I was exposed to the church since I was a baby, but I'll tell you, when I got to be older, I had to make a decision about what my part was going to be in the body of Christ. I actually was offered an investment broker job. I think I've told you that before. But in my 20s, I was captured by a vision. I heard one man share something like this because he had heard someone say the same thing to him. Listen to this. He once heard a guy say this. There was once a community of believers who were so totally devoted to God that their life together was charged with the Spirit's power. In that band of Christ followers, believers loved each other with a radical kind of love, Christ's love. They took off their masks and shared their lives with one another. They laughed and cried and prayed and sang and served together in authentic Christian fellowship. 
Those who had more shared freely with those who had less until socioeconomic barriers melted away. People related together in ways that bridged gender and racial chasms, and everyone was serving and loving one another with their spiritual gifts. Acts 2 tells us that this community of believers, this church, offered unbelievers a vision of life that was so beautiful that it took their breath away. It was so bold, so creative, so dynamic that they couldn't resist it. Verse 47 tells us that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I heard a man say, why can't that kind of church still exist today? Has God lost his power? Is it not possible? And I remember hearing that and saying to myself, with the rest of my life, I want to give myself to be part of a community, so help me God, that will pursue this, as imperfectly as maybe we do. But I want to be part of a church that practices this, where every person in the body of Christ is important, where every person in the body of Christ is saying, I have a gift. I didn't ask for it. I didn't deserve it, but God's given it to me. And he's given me a love for his body as imperfect and flawed and warts and all as the church is. And I want to serve with my one and only life. Friends, when that begins to happen, if you've never witnessed it, it is powerful. And I've taken people to different churches at times just to let them see how different churches can practice this. And I've watched people's eyes go, oh my goodness, I didn't know it was possible in the 21st century. It is. This is what we want to be, friends, at Cherry Hills. The gathering of Cherry Hills, like this. So let me just go and talk about how we live this out, okay? First, living out, I'll quickly go through this. The way we got to live it out is, is that we got to be loving Christ by loving his body, the church. Loving Christ by loving his body, the church. You know, if I went up to you and said, I love you, and then I hit you in the face, would you question my love? Sure. Friends, when you and I say, I love you, but I don't like your body, to Jesus, it hurts him. He says, look, if I can love the body of Christ, warts and all, if I can lay down my life, why can't you love the body of Christ? Why are you so proud that you will not love the body of Christ? Man, I'll tell you, those questions absolutely ripped me. And I started realizing Jesus was saying, love me, love my church. Warts and all. That's huge. Do you realize the Bible says, and I've listed some places out to the right, that Jesus didn't just die for a bunch of disconnected individuals. He died for a church. Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself totally for her. When you and I begin to do this, it'll change your life. You'll begin to see that he doesn't want you just to be a Sunday sit and soap person. Now you'll be a person that says, I want to receive input and output. I want to be part of the body of Christ because he loves the church. I believe this is why those 3,000 people did that next. Second, growing in the faith and knowing God's son better. Notice I say growing in the faith, not just growing in faith, but growing in the faith. Whenever the New Testament uses this phrase, as it does in verse 13, it means the body of truth about the Christian life. Friends, there are false teachings about Jesus and there are true teachings about Jesus. You and I need to know what the faith teaches. We're going to see more about this next week. The truth that is in Jesus. 
It doesn't just mean the truth about Jesus, but there is a, the faith that all of us either believe in that body of knowledge and that body of truth or we don't. But also it means growing in knowing him better. I talked about this at Easter, that <clears throat> no matter how long I've known Jesus, now over almost 40 years, I have so much still to know. He is huge. To know him is a privilege, but to get to know him better, can I say this? The better I get to know Jesus, the more he teaches me how much he loves his church and wants me to love the body of Christ too. Third thing is learning to build one another up in truth and love. Learning to build one another up in truth and love. Do you see that in verse 15, how it uses the phrase truth in love? Every church has got to figure out what they do with truth and love. We talked about this in John 1:14 when it says that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. Grace is another word for love. So he came and he showed grace to people. He loved people. He graced them. But he also was full of the truth. Now think about this. It's so tempting to be full of one or the other. In my pride sometimes, I'm more full of the truth than I am love. And when I'm like that, ask my family how fun that is to relate to me. When I'm more full of love and not the truth, you know what happens? You have this kind of flimsy acceptance that never makes anybody built up and strong and mature like they need to be. We need both. Therefore, every church needs to be full of the truth and love at the same time. Not one or the other, not one more than the other, but we need to pursue both really high. And that's tough to do in a world that doesn't want to hear the truth. That's tough to do in a world that only wants love. But God wants us to hold up both high. We'll talk about that more as we go on. But then notice one more thing. Discovering and gratefully serving with his gifts. Discovering and gratefully serving with his gifts. If you look up here on the screen, 1 Corinthians 12, this is an interesting idea here. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts. What's the next phrase? Let's read it together. I do not want you to be uninformed. So here's what happens. A lot of churches are set up where the pastor does the ministry and the people come and they receive input from the pastor or they, you know, worship together. But in that case, the pastor is not doing his job or the teachers are not doing their job if that's set up like that. But that's been the American church for the last 200 years. So what did Jesus have in mind? He had in mind that every one of us would be ministers, that every one of us would have gifts, that every one of us would not just come for input, but also output, that we would serve together. And that takes some learning, doesn't it? I'm still learning what all that means. But do you understand what your spiritual gifts are if you're a follower of Christ? Has anyone ever taken the time with you? I've shared multiple times with you how my dad had a conversation with me over bologna sandwiches and helped me understand that I had the gift of encouragement. That changed my life. My youth leaders eventually and some other adults began to help me see that I might have a teaching gift, that I might have a leadership gift. Those things have been an ongoing discovery and it will probably be the same for you in unfolding. The question is, has anybody ever asked you, do you know what your gift is or gifts? It may be a gift mix. Do you know it? Because you can't use it and put it into play if you don't know it. Back in 1997, I was at a conference with several other leaders from this church, and a guy stood up and he said, if you're not teaching your church family how to discover and use their spiritual gifts, pastors, that is pastoral malpractice. 
So for the last 18 years, we've taught a class like Network, and we've also offered other opportunities. We've had about six or 700 people go through that class. The difference between that class and other things that we did before that is it doesn't just help you think about what your spiritual gift is, you actually get a chance to meet after the six-week class with a consultant or a coach that helps you wrestle with what those gifts might be so that it doesn't stay vague and fuzzy. And therefore, people begin to serve more out of a heart and a want to than a duty and a drudgery. And this has changed our church. So if you turn your notes over to the back, you'll see that there's a list of about 15, 21 gifts. These are just some of the ones mentioned in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. That's where spiritual gifts are pretty much discussed in the New Testament. You, if you want to read more in the New Testament about this. I could spend a lot of time here, but I guess let me just give you three ideas about how you might discover your spiritual gift if you haven't. And all of this, I hope you know, I mean to share with you in a spirit of prayer. I mean, if you walk out of this today and you don't say, Lord, would you please help me discover my spiritual gift, you're probably going to miss the most important step. But as you're praying that way, here's what I would suggest you do as you're just looking over this list. First of all, one, do you have an affinity? If you're writing ideas down, do you have an affinity for any one of these gifts? Is your heart drawn towards that kind of ministry? If you said, oh man, if God could just use me to show mercy to someone. If God could just use me to show encouragement, if God could use me to bring administration to maybe where things are disorganized, if God could just use me to help someone who's out front, I don't want to be out front, but I'd love to help behind the scenes. Do you realize that the more people have discovered this in our church, the more it has changed how excited people are about serving? I think I may have mentioned that there was a number of people helping with baptism, you know, and they said, I love what I get to do to me in between services. Part of that's because they're operating according to how they're made. They have an affinity for this. The second thing is ability. When you think about this, have you noticed that God's given you an ability? This is what my dad did with me when I was 20. He said, have you noticed that every time you seek to encourage someone, by and large, a lot of those people come back and say, that really helped me want to follow Jesus more. You weren't looking for that. You weren't trying to get attention. They just came back and told you that. That's an ability that Jesus gave you. You need to pay attention to that. Sometimes, by the way, some people have an affinity for a certain gift, but they don't have an ability. And so they just need to say, well, maybe I don't have that gift. You know, maybe that's... The third thing is opportunity. Once you see those things, have you seen any opportunities to use those gifts if, in fact, you're experimenting and trying to figure that out? Sometimes we have opportunities and we duck them or we're afraid, we're nervous. And he's saying, come on, I want you to take that opportunity. I've been showing you that for a reason. Sometimes we don't have any opportunities because that's not our gift. And the clue phone's kind of ringing, you know? I never get an opportunity to do that. Well, maybe there's a reason. The idea here is, is that all of us are unsure of ourselves and we need some other people. In this church family, maybe there's a trusted Christian friend that you could say, could you help me discover my gifts? By the way, one more idea. If you're wondering how you might serve, experiment with a lot of different things. When you see an opportunity, try it and just see it. if the body of Christ confirms it and if in your own spirit you sense, I think this is what God's given me. Um, there's a cherry pie delivery thing we're going to do in a few weeks like we do every year where we try and touch our community. It's so neat to see hundreds of people deliver cherry pies. Try something like that. There'll be more information in the bulletins about that. Maybe go on a short-term mission trip. Maybe serve. But friends, notice this. 
that the way that we do ministry by and large with each other in this church is not from the pastors. It's from life groups. It's from smaller groups. When the roof caves in in your life, it's not that the pastors may not offer a touch like that, but that's when small groups mobilize and begin to say, let's get around that person and let's do all we can to walk through this together. That is so much different. And Brian was referring to that during baptism. If you're not in one, I highly recommend. That's one of the ways you can practice doing life together. Is it messy? Is it scary? Sure. Is it risky? Sure. But keep learning and saying, I want to love the body of Christ. Help me grow in this, Lord. The last thing is if you turn your notes over. If the only way that you and I are going to spiritually mature is together, then how do, we, how do we spin out of this message? And so I listed this question. Am I committed to the body Christ has knitted me to? Am I committed to the body Christ has knitted me to? You know, a few years ago, I tried doing a rap song that I'd made up. And that's about as close as I get back to rap, right there. Am I committed to? The body Christ has knitted me to. Am I? Honestly, am I giving myself to what Christ made me to be part of? Am I learning how to do that? How do you do that? You say, Jeff, praying together, singing together, giving together, serving together, learning how to do life more together than solo, doing church as a team. Before we pray, let me just share this quick story. There is a little gal that was a special needs gal. And she decided to go out for the school play and it made her mom all nervous because she thought, oh no, my daughter's not going to be able to play one of the parts in that play. I just know it. So she baked cookies the day that the tryouts were the auditions and she went to pick her up and she met her there at the school. And when she got there, her daughter came jumping up to the car and jumped in the car and said, mom, mom, I have a part to play. They told me, that my part is to clap and cheer. And she did it with all her heart. And when you and I say, Lord, show me the part you want me to play, and I'll do it with all my heart. Huge. Can you imagine if every one of us spun out of here? Here's how I apply this in my own life. Because the church is big. You'd probably say, what do I do? Every morning I wake up, I say, Lord, I'm understanding that you made me part of the body of Christ. Will you show me one person, either in this local fellowship or the larger body of Christ who I've got to know? Show me how I can build up one person today. And I'll do it. Maybe a cup of water. It may be listening. It may be just texting them. It may be just putting my hand on their shoulder. Let me build up the body of Christ with my one and only life man. So let's bow ask what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you. Where are you on the spectrum of uncommitted to committed? You may be here and you're saying, I'm not even a believer in Christ. Well, at least you know where you're starting. And just know that if you sense him calling you to follow Jesus, this is where he's going to lead you. This is what he's going to call you to be part of. Some of you may say, I'm a brand new Christian. I'm just getting started. Well, this is the direction he wants to lead you. And we as a church family want to help you grow in this. You know, the 22 people that were baptized today, we're going to pray this week that they won't just be baptized, but they'll be even more established in the body of Christ. Amen? And then also, if you're here and you've been a growing Christian, as he's saying to you, hey, have you been using hurt or baggage or excuses? And I'm, I'm trying to help heal those and lead you through that. 
I want to help make you more courageous. Or maybe you've gone through a season where he said, you know, you need to maybe heal and soak for a while, but now I'm leading you to serve. What's he saying to you? close with a song. By the way, as you walk out today, we have stickers there by every door. If you want to pick up one and put it inside your Bible, you can do that. It's one of the reasons we have them. And, or you can place them in some other place. It'll just remind you about the footprint of living it out, living the Christian life out. But I, you know, I look over here at some of you students, and one of the things that I've so appreciated is getting a chance to meet with some of the student leaders who meet once a month in our church family. And just to realize, I've told them many times, you are not the future church. You are the body of Christ now. And we're better because you're part of our church family. And I just pray that no matter what your age is, that we can build up one another. So here's this song. I'll sing it the first time through and then join me. Make us one, Lord. Make us one. Holy Spirit. Make us one, let your love flow, so the world will know we are one in you. Would you stand up? Let's sing this together. Make us one, Lord, make us one, Holy Spirit, make us one. Let your love flow so the world will know we are one in you. Let me just pray and remind you there's always people down front that can pray with you after this service. That's not a sign of weakness. That's just doing life together using their intercessory gifts and their desire to encourage you. So now, Lord, as we go our way, even if we are not part of the larger gathering, even when we're by ourselves, remind us that we are still part of the body of Christ. Show us how to live out our calling and to build up the body of Christ, which you love so much. Amen.